welcome back, everyone. Art world. Hey there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what are we talking about today? Art. Always, always art. <laughs> All in on the art game. How are you? How pretty is good. Lisa today? <laughs> Lisa's doing pretty good today. Yeah? Yeah. Anything worth mentioning in your life? In my life? Yeah. What do you want to know? I don't know. I know that you're really sore. I am from, dying. <laughs> from working out. <laughs> I want to share this with the world. That Lisa's a badass and goes to the gym. I do. And I sit at home and drink wine. I'm jealous. I'm jealous of the wine drinking. <laughs> um, walking right now is it's a struggle, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking fondly of two days ago when I could walk like a normal person. Aww. Yeah, but it's it's all okay. It's you know long term. Yeah, it's for the gains. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in your room right now. We're in my bedroom. Yeah, and well done. I'm... We're actually we're in bed together. We are in bed together. <laughs> <laughs> I like this pink soft blanket. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I need more art for my walls, though. I was just going to say, like, you have some stuff up. I, I do. Mm-hmm. You, the world would not be proud. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's cute. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah. It's a very girly room. Yeah. It's a lot of pink. I like, I like the girliness. Nice. What Lisa has up is a um, canvas of gold press lips yeah Stamp, like the lip mark yeah like kissing lips yeah <laughs> hanging over my bed yeah and then on the side of it is like the can't you put photos in those things yeah it made it look really busy oh okay um i think i'm more like simplistic in some ways mm-hmm. um so i put on my far wall is a photo gallery oh yes yes you're correct um my photos are outdated though i need to update them okay but I tend to put all my updated ones in my office at work. Okay. Question for you. Sure. Random question. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever bought an art piece? I, you know, Catherine. <laughs> Lisa. We had, we had a plan going into this podcast. I know, I know. And you have just thrown me I'm... curveball after curveball. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> I have not bought, like, an art piece, art piece. Mm -hmm. You know what? It's a goal for 2019. Oh. By the end of the year, I will buy an art piece. Okay. Um, I saw a piece on a line the other day that I, like, fell in love with, but it it looked very expensive. So it's highly unlikely that I will buy that piece. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm on the search. Do you know who it was by or what it looked like? What would, what, what would the piece look like? It I mean, a palm tree. Like, in a palm tree. <laughs> but it was artsy, I swear. I, it was up in a gallery. Okay. He, he, he had a lot of followers. I swear he's he's legit. <laughs> oh, okay. Palm um, trees and followers. I feel like I'm painting myself in a very interesting light right now. I think it's a relatable light. I think yeah. a lot of people buy, you know, crappy art. <gasps> we said no snobbiness. I to for to stand up for Lisa. I've not seen this piece. I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna post it. You guys tell me if it's crappy or not. <laughs> um, my room is very pink. Mm-hmm. I love the pink. You know what? I'm single, and someday I'm gonna have to compromise with a man who probably won't let me have a pink room. You know what you should do? Huh? You should date an artist. 
artists, feel free to slide into my DMs at Call the Polisa. Have you um, ever dated an artist? I know I have not. Oh, they're the worst. I don't know if I would do well with an artist. <laughs> um, are they like, though. kind of emotional? Yes. Oh, God. I mean, not all of them, but like oh, a lot of them are emotional. I'm emotional, well. so I can say it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would handle that well. You get free art, though. You'd have to find. You'd have to no, date. No, you know an what? No, you say that, but I've been trying to get you to um, make me art for two years now. It hasn't happened. That's true. I still need to work on your uh, portrait. I I think it would be like the ultimate power move to have a self portrait in my cubicle. Uh, oil painted. Oil painted. We uh like furs. Yes. And a bowl of fruit. Yes. Next to you. Um, I want fruit that is in the process of being fermented into wine. Oh, <laughs> so, I don't even know what that looks like. Plot twist. Um, since that was my idea, can I call myself the artist? Yes. Yes. <laughs> as long as you pay me. <laughs> One dollar. <laughs> One make a dollar. Makes it real. That oh, was yeah. Commission. Boom. Man, I love this topic. Yeah. Can I be like in, in the, the background? background? I want. Over your so shoulder? I would like there to be a photo behind me. Mm-hmm. Of you. A po- <laughs> so it'll be a portrait within a portrait. Oh, I love it. And we'll call it, it Inception. <laughs> Can I have a or artception in my portrait, too? Yeah. And it could be Tyler? Yeah. It makes his, sense. Like, he is face. the man behind the women. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate supporter. The ultimate supporter. <laughs> I love it. All right, moving on. Uh, we, won't, we won't torture Lisa anymore. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, slide into my DMs. Yeah, I don't you, hate it. You sexy artists out there that only make good art, no bad art, no bad art, no palm trees. <laughs> oh. Um, so we're talking about critiquing work, right? Yeah, as uh, we just critiqued my bedroom. And a reminder to myself, really, that this is a not snobby podcast. Okay, I honestly love it when we turn into snobs. I know, I but we're supposed it. to not be snobby. We advertise that this podcast is but not what snobby. what topic isn't a little bit snobby? <laughs> it's true, it's true. I feel like as long as you're self-aware enough to say, I'm being a snob right now, it's fine. Uh, yeah, you have to own it. You have to own it. Okay, so critiquing. Critiquing. You know what I realized is all of our, um, like featured artists we pretty much are critiquing their work it's just in a positive manner yeah because we pick the artists that we like exactly we could pick artists that we don't like i don't think they would like that <laughs> no i don't think <laughs> featured <so>. artists <laughs> hashtag bad art <laughs> what were you even thinking <laughs> i would it'd be fun just to tear into someone one day anyway that's awful um so this is a topic i've really wanted to discuss so i'm gonna just take ownership of this do segment it. right now do it um so anywhere in life, you're going to have critiques, whether it be like a staff evaluation, um, a podcast review, um, <laughs> anything, you get critiqued. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's an area that like I myself, it's not a strong suit for me to be critiqued. Um, I don't take it super well. Um, I pretend like I do. I put up a really good facade and then it like I go home and I'm unhappy. Mm. Um but it's something that I've always highly respected about you. You are incredible at taking critiques and not just that, but you often request them. Um, so whenever we're in a gallery after uh, like one of your performances, you'll talk to people and um, you'll be like, so what did you think? And you leave it completely open to whatever 
they thought your piece was and you never try to redirect them to what your meaning behind it was. Um, and when we've spoken, it's because you want their true critique. Um, you don't want the bias. Um, and you take, I don't, you've talked about, um, your MFA program and bad critiques there and taking them in stride. And I just, I don't really understand how you're able to do that. So give us some advice because it's such a hard thing for like 99% of the population. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think it has a lot to do with, with how we said, like the MFA Mm -hmm. program, we would get critiqued weekly, daily sometimes. And I think for anyone, especially in the arts, you have to be ready for that bad critique. Like, you know, it's coming. Mm -hmm. If you only have good critiques, you won't grow. And honestly, I think so in undergrad, I was my senior year, I was still like doing very traditional oil paintings. I hadn't found myself yet Mm -hmm. as an artist. And I had um, Sarah Vanderlip, Vanderlip, I hope that's her last name amazing artist mm-hmm. but I hadn't taken her class until senior year because she's um a sculptor okay so but she's also the thesis teacher and um I brought in what I was thinking about doing for my thesis and she was like this is nice but like what are you actually trying to say with your work it's okay yeah but it's not great it's not really art it's just aesthetically pleasing yeah like Oh, terrible, terrible critique. Dang. So you had like, work. so you had like the physical task down, like yeah, you knew like how to shape and create. Technique wise, I was great. Yeah. Okay, but she was like, "What are you actually gonna say with your work?" And challenged me. And I remember again <laughs> calling my uh, parents. Yeah. And just like tears, like I can't believe it. I've worked, you know, for three years on my degree, and I'm feel like I'm at, you know, zero in my art career because I have no idea and it was a horrible critique. Anyways, like a week later, I took her uh, and I challenged myself to actually think about what she said. And I think that's the biggest thing with critiques is you should be as an artist listening. And even though it's hard, like as you said, you go home and you're upset, mm-hmm. be upset, let yourself be upset because that's okay but then also take the critique in stride and challenge yourself to maybe think about your work differently and that's when I started doing the magazine covers oh wow okay and so I brought in this six foot by four foot Hillary Clinton magazine cover with a whipped cream on her breast and it was a feminist piece and she's like oh my god I've never had a student take a critique and make it something that was amazing and so she ended up nominating me for, um, I forgot what it was, it was like, you know, the like top uh, student in the arts wow. uh, award. And so she and I went together and I got this award and I got like to That's wear. incredible. But she, I think that experience made me rethink how to take critiques mm-hmm. and make it more of a challenge. Like you can get bad critiques. And it's up to you as the artist to whether you are going to actually try and take the critique and make it into something worth using or not. But I think a lot of people don't do that. And even in my MFA program, when Linda said I couldn't paint, I was like, well, you know, let me try something else. Yeah. Um, And that's how I discovered performance art. So all every time I've had a bad critique, I've challenged it 
to challenge myself to think about my artwork in a different way. That's really incredible. Yeah, I think it's really important to remember that every time um, you get a critique, it's going to lead to um, your improvement and it can only better you. Um, and Adam Grant, actually, he does like a TED Talk podcast, mm. not to shout out another podcast, <laughs> but it's all about how um, we should start embracing critiques, but how most people just can't. And so I've started to try to say to myself when I'm getting critiques, like, okay, it's um, going to lead to something positive. It's going to get better. What do you do when people are giving you a critique? Like in that moment, because your art is so passionate and like it's you pour yourself into it mm-hmm. that like I have a hard time when it's like I'm passionate about my work, but when it's about work and like this is yourself and your art. So what goes through your head? Like how do you like maintain like your composure yeah well and I think this it's really important for people who are giving critiques to re to recognize that there's an importance with timing because like after a performance or after a big show or something like that where I just need to decompress um some that's probably the hardest time to get a critique from me for from other people for me Um, because I'm just so relieved and like trying to de-stress and then if people come up and they oh just you know a suggestion do this this Mm -hmm. this that's the hardest part to time to keep my composure because I really just want to say you know I really value your critique and I want to listen to them because I do think critiques are important but just not then. Like, let me have a moment Absolutely. when I'm done. I was doing a fashion show uh, for wearable art, and mm-hmm. I was directing it. And we had technical difficulties where we were trying to get the art pieces that were coming down the, um, the stage to be up on the, like, projected on the wall so people could see it closer because mm-hmm. a lot of it was jewelry. And it just wouldn't work. Yeah. And so we had to have the show go on and we did our best and they had me come out like, oh, thank you to the director, blah, blah, blah. And I walk off stage and then immediately these two women come up to me and they just like kind of rip me apart Mm -hmm. as far as like, why didn't this work? Um, We were so disappointed. And I that was the hardest critique for me um, because I just wanted to say fuck off pretty much because I had spent all like months preparing and technology sometimes has a mind of its own and I just wanted to be (laughs) left alone (laughs) and like bathe in the fact that it was over absolutely so um (laughs) we kind of touched on this before (laughs) um I am a professional event producer um and I don't know what it is about events, but people want to critique you as soon as it is over. And that's the worst. I am literally like a lot of the times it'll be 1 Mm a.m. And I'm like, I have been on event ground since 5 a.m. And it's one thing for me to say, okay, like I need to do this, this and this better next time. Because to me, um, that's when it's fresh on your mind. You can see what went wrong. Um, And I guess that opens up the door for other people. But it is not the time because you're like it. 
it's been about a 19-hour day, and I haven't eaten in 12 hours, and I have walked 60,000 steps around this place, and I'm just happy that nothing caught on fire at this <laughs> point. Like, save your critiques for a later time. Um, and you want them, like, but absolutely email them, like, a week later. Yes. And let me know your thoughts. But yes. timing for a critique is important. Don't critique an artist at their opening yeah. show wait wait until you have like a studio visit or email them but let them have their moment absolutely um and one other thing um i did want to touch on so when i first met you you were actually part of a crit group Mm -hmm. um how does an artist find crit groups how does it work what kind of explain it because you had to explain it to me when i first met you so that was one thing that i valued from grad school Mm -hmm. and i knew that i wanted to find um, so I joined a nonprofit um, gallery in Los Angeles. It's called the LA Art Association. Okay. And, it, you know, you pay a membership. But the best part of joining that was that they have crit groups every year and you can join them. And there's about eight, um, eight to ten artists and you have a crit leader. And you go to each artist studio, you know, every month you switch off. And you present to them what you work are working on. And for them, it's really interesting because they have a very strict um, structure in mm-hmm. how they critique. So the first 15 minutes, the artist is not allowed to say anything. Wow. You So you don't even present your work. You just kind of like point at mm-hmm. it and they start critiquing for 15 okay. minutes. And then after the 15 minutes, they can start asking you questions and you can participate in the critique a little bit more. But it's really interesting to not be able to speak. How do you just not jump in defending yourself? Well, a lot of artists have a really hard time not doing that. Yeah. But it's such an important thing not to do because it really hinders the whole critique experience. Like, the artists that just become defensive you know aren't mature enough artists to really take in a critique that and make it a valuable experience for them. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I that would be so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and, pe- and usually people are really nice about yeah. it. Because you have to think about where the critique is coming from. Like, what is that person's mm-hmm. motivation? And it's usually not to hurt you. Yeah. They want you to just do better. And so they're trying to be helpful. Yeah. Um, so it kind of helps to think of it that way but I kind of put on um a I don't get emotionally attached to anything that they say I take it in um but I let myself be emotional about it later okay and that's kind of how I keep my composure yeah you take it in almost like as data as like it's just factual yeah well not not factual but it's just points yes yeah um I keep my like professional mode going yeah. and never let, n- I never let people see my emotion yeah. at work, even if I'm having a bad day. And that's how For I sure. go into a critique. Dang. I'm so impressed. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, that is definitely a weakness of mine. So. <laughs> no. Um, for you, like turning it around mm-hmm. when you go into a gallery and you're thinking about work and how to critique it, what are 
kind of the points that you've learned. You're looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> I've taken you to galleries and I know, and everyone, like even if you're a beginner, you know when a piece is good or bad. Yes. Um, but have you learned like any pointers on um, what to look at or... Did I just throw you? You did. (laughs) (laughs) What would you suggest as a beginner? Like, what should you be looking at? Like, the movement of a piece, the colors? um... Well, the great thing about critiques Mm -hmm. is, like, you yourself know what you like. You don't necessarily... Like, you and I don't have to agree on a piece to make it good or bad art. Mm -hmm. Um, It's definitely a blurry line. Yeah. Um, So trust yourself and looking at a piece of you immediately immediately like it or have strong feelings about it um trust that and then dive deeper why do you like it is it the color is it the movement is it the concept Mm -hmm. behind it that you really enjoy yeah I think a lot of it for me is um what it invokes in me Mm -hmm. if that's or provokes um whether it draws a reaction um I have walked into galleries and literally looked at a piece and been like, I feel nothing. Oh, I, I feel dead inside. <laughs> like, this is just something up on the wall. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, in my world, I kind of consider that bad art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, And that's totally and there's legitimate. Been, there's been pieces that like I would never buy, but it's made me think critically and kind of made me go, whoa. Um, or just like wanted to look at longer because I was interested in in the conceptual meaning mm-hmm. behind it um and that is something that even if I wouldn't buy it I still enjoyed more mm-hmm. um and other pieces I love so yeah but we don't know if it's good art or not <laughs> <laughs> we shall see we shall see y'all are gonna vote <laughs> I and I think everyone's different for me like uh, the concept behind mm-hmm. an art piece is really what drives whether or not I like it. Yeah. And then second to that is aesthetics, if okay. it looks good. And sometimes it's the opposite for people. Yeah. It has to visually look appealing before the concept. Um, I can't stand landscapes. I'm just going to throw that out really? there. Really? Boring landscapes. And I'm sorry, Dad. I love your work. But boring landscapes... <laughs> Drive me crazy. We just lost our number one follower. I, know. I love you. I, and I really like my dad's work because it's so technically um, uh, advanced. Mm-hmm. So his landscape uh, that he did that I really like is uh, trees, okay. but it's all pointillism. So wow. it's just dots. Yeah. And it's a huge canvas. Yeah. I have mad respect for that. That takes time. Yes. Yeah. But like, uh, so we'll go up to my husband's grandparents uh-huh. and they just want to connect with me I yeah. know that and every single time they show me the exact same painting oh. and it's it's like from the garage they haven't even hung it up it's dusty it's not well taken care of but they're like this is an art piece yeah so they give it to me and I put it in my lap and I go wow this is oh. so nice but it's a barn and like a, a wagon wheel yeah and like mountains in the background uh-huh. And I'm just like, I can't, I can't get behind it. No, that's tough. Yeah. That's, that's my snobbiness that's for today. That's the snobbiness. <laughs> All right. You need to seep into this episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's 
okay. I can be a snob too. <laughs> uh, so, uh, are, do you think we should move on? I think we should. I think okay. it's uh, that time. All right. So we have a new featured artist. Yes. Who we're super excited about. Um, his name is Andrew K. Curry, and so his work is pencil drawings. Um, and they're really detailed. They almost have like a Baroque feel, which Baroque is um, high contrast between light and dark areas. It's the first time that artists really put in black into their paintings to really um, hike up the contrast. Um, just a little about him. He got his BFA in Texas and then an MFA at Otis College, which was what brought him to Los Angeles. He makes drawings uh, primarily with pencil and gold leaf to create images that blend contemporary subject matters with medieval and classical iconography. Um, he enjoys playing with ironic constructions, depicting things like payphones as shrines, as ruined shrines to to outdated technology and we'll post a photo of one of his payphone shrines yeah because that's what we're gonna really talk about today um and i love this piece that we're gonna be posting isn't it cool it is so cool um and his work and shading is just it's unreal like it's incredible Mm -hmm. he's definitely talented yeah you know he can work with a pencil (laughs) (laughs) absolutely um and i do like how is it's a shrine to um i guess we talked a lot about technology um recently as well but um it's such a statement to where we were and where we're going and um I i don't know i just i love it well, and I think his subject matter is really interesting, how he's he's using uh, kind of older techniques mm-hmm. with uh, pencil and the gold leaf. Yeah. Um, and then bringing in technology that is new but old at the same time. Exactly. Like, we're getting rid of uh, pay phones. And so it's, I feel like he's playing with time. Yes. Like he's just merging these worlds together that wouldn't have necessarily existed at the same time. And it makes you think about how medieval, how old that is, but how old our technology that wasn't that old will be. Exactly. I, I mean, payphones, it does, because like even just when you think about it, um, payphones are old to us now. But they were around, what, five years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very common. Like, that's Very how we commonplace. communicated. Um, and it led to where we are now. So I think it just speaks on so many different levels. Mm-hmm. And I have to applaud him because when I hear an artist say that they use gold leaf, I immediately think that they probably overused it. That it's a technique that artists use to... Um, heighten their aesthetics yes because it's gold leaf and he I think uses gold leaf very well to help the concept along and not distract 
from the aesthetics of just using this material that is attractive. Absolutely. Um, another piece that I'm going to post, which I love, is um, Unicorn Glitch. Oh. Um, and I love, it's one of his newer pieces. Um, I love the colors, the gold leaf in this one. Um, it's incredible. Yeah, it's super interesting. Um, I can't see on his Instagram, like, what the size is. But I think he works... I think it's quite large. Pretty large, yeah. Yeah. And this is... The Unicorn Glitch has a little bit more color than I think he usually Usually, uses. Yeah, I think that's um, part of the reason I'm so drawn to it. And so the Unicorn Glitch has this kind of really rough, not attractive-looking unicorn. Yes. uh, Hit by arrows and... kind of has this movement within it at the bottom. Yeah. That really draws me in. And then the background is this very um, kind of wallpaper flowery. Yeah, with the pink. mm -hmm. And it kind of combines like fantasy with modernism. I don't know. It's it's really cool. Mm -hmm. And he actually is going to be a guest on our podcast um next week next or week this week really yeah. so um if you guys have any questions for him like send them in we'll talk to him um on air about it um and we're super excited to have him on he's so talented we're gonna meet him in his studio so yeah. we can actually see his work up close so we'll post a few uh videos of being in his studio He's also uh, has moon drawings that is going to be at the La La Palooza Mm -hmm. uh, that opens March 1st in Los Angeles. So if you're around, uh, check it out. We'll uh, announce that on uh, when we put his piece up. We'll have that information in there as well. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, excited to have Andrew on. It's going to be such a fun one. So next we have news. We have news. We do have news. Breaking news. So Marina Abramovich is considered the godmother of performance art. Okay. Um, She has a new show opening at the Serpentine Gallery in London. Okay. And it opened February 19th and runs until February 24th. Okay, so we're in the middle of it right now. And it's fully booked. It's wow. a free um, show to go to. So if you were in London and wanted to go. Too late. Too bad. <laughs> you can't. Um, but so what it is, is she has recreated. Uh, it's like virtual reality. Yes. So VR meets the arts. Oh. And Catherine is searching. <laughs> I'm looking for. I had it up, and now I now I like close things out. Um, what was her original uh, performance pieces? So the one that really she's been famous for mm-hmm. a long time, and she has um, a lot of history. So one of her earlier pieces that is really famous is she was in a gallery, and she was. I think she started off clothed. Okay. And she 
um, have a table laid out and on the sign it said you can use any of these props on me and she basically wouldn't move or or react to anything that people would do wow and there was a rose there was whips there was like things for pleasure and yeah. pain and also a gun and a bullet and it was like a it was a really long performance it more than six hours wow and people once they realized that she wasn't going to respond uh people went oh crazy they really? like um cut her they took the um how did she maintain that's that's what's so fascinating is she didn't like react her pain at tolerance all. wow mm-hmm. Um, she was poked with the thorns of the roses. They cut off her clothes. Um, and at one point, um, someone put the bullet in the gun and like held it to her head and someone else stopped her or stopped the person that was trying to do this with the gun. And so once the performance piece ended, Mm -hmm. She was in the gallery space and kind of came out of her state of being. And when she started to move about, people freaked out and, like, ran away from the gallery. Wow. They just, like, ran out because they had gotten so used to her not reacting. Yeah. And almost forgot that she was human. That she was real. Mm Mm-hmm. And she said... And they probably felt terrible about what they did to her. Yeah. So she went back to her hotel room and said she cried and was hysterical. And, like, the next morning she woke up and had a gray um, piece of her hair, like, oh, my gosh, yeah, from the stress. But that was of, of just what she put her entire body through and what people put her through. That is unreal. And she was saying powerful that she fully accepted death. Like, if yeah. someone was to kill her, she totally accepted that that could be her fate oh my gosh uh and then her other piece that she's really famous for that most people know her for is the artist is present okay and it was performed at the guggenheim i've heard of this piece yeah and she sat uh for about three months Uh uh-huh um in a chair for six hours no food no water no bathroom breaks across and there was a table and the audience was invited to sit across from her. Okay. And all you do, you don't talk to her. She doesn't react. She just looks at you and okay. you look back at her and you maintain yes. eye contact. Okay. And I love how people critique this piece. Okay. Because if you don't get performance art, they're like, oh, that's so silly. But when you challenge people to sit across from a stranger mm-hmm. and look them in the eye, yeah. like remain eye contact... It's an experience. Absolutely. And so she was really famous a long time ago for working with her partner. Mm -hmm. Um, They weren't married, but they were together. Okay. And the only time in this piece that she reacted to anyone sitting down is when he came and sat down across from her. Really? And she started crying and like reached across the table and grabbed his hands. And they didn't say anything, but that was her only time she reacted. Yeah. And she had to train her body to be able to sit for six hours without having to use the restroom or anything like that. And she's in an iconic red dress. Yeah. And so for this um, exhibit that just came out, 
she is also in the red dress. Okay. But um, the work is her, but she's a 3D virtual reality person. Oh, my gosh. Person. Okay. So it's not her. It's, it's her VR. 3D. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So people are invited to come and react with her. So the 3D piece is uh, behind a rope divider. Okay. And it's a 19-minute performance piece. Okay. And said to be the first, it's marketed as the first mixed me- mixed reality art experience. Okay. And how are you interacting with her? So you can talk to her. I'm not sure if she actually reacts back to you. Because that would be so different from her past pieces. Exactly. That's so interesting that you bring that up yeah. because... She's a well-known, respected artist. And her whole thing has been connecting with the audience. Yeah. Um, So she's actually received um, a critique from uh, Jonathan Jones from The Guardian. Mm -hmm. And uh, he gave her a one-star review. Wow. For the performance is lacking everything um, Abronovich is loved and renowned for. particularly, I hate that word, relating to her audience directly and uneasily looking at them in the eye. So she's not there. So she's not technically relating to her audience at all. Which is, from what I've heard about the um, the artist's present piece, was the connection you make when you really stare into someone's eyes, they connected with her. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and I find this piece really interesting and it makes me kind of wonder as, um, you know, an outsider to the art world, um, is she doing this to be on that cutting edge curve of technology? Is she doing this because her body can't stand what she put it through in the past? Which- or is she truly inspired by the connection between technology and art? Like those are my three kind of paths that I, I kind of question um, what made her want to do this? So Abronovich Av- Av- said mm-hmm. that she felt the show's technology offered a tantalizing method of preserving her legacy, which I think kind yeah. of answers your question behind the motive. Definitely. Where she is getting older. Yeah. She's realizing that she won't be around forever to make art, but wants her work to... To live on. Yes. Which is one of the, I feel like the hardest things about, I guess, your art too and performance art is, I mean, painters, sketchers, they leave behind work mm-hmm. and you can make a video and whatnot, but videos have only been around, what, 10, 20 years and, and the way they are now with YouTube where they're easily accessible. What will YouTube be around in 20 years? And will that technology be so old that... That it's like watching a black and white movie now. Exactly. Um, so I think, you know, VR will be around a long time and she is kind of on that cutting edge of like, this is how my art will live on. Mm-hmm. I would want to know from people that go to this exhibit mm-hmm. what they take away from it. Because if they are taking away, I've had an experience with, Marina Abranovich, mm-hmm. then the art's successful. Yeah. Because I feel like her work has a lot to do with how she connects to the audience, but it's more, I think, important for her 
is how the audience is connecting to her. Yeah. So if the audience does connect to this virtual reality 3D mm -hmm. person that she is in the exhibit, then it's successful. Yeah. But it's hard to imagine that we can connect to someone it that we don't so know. It is so hard to imagine. And you think back to even her first piece that you explained, how people put that disconnect there. Mm -hmm. And I just would have a hard time with a VR. Yeah. And being able to connect. Random side thought mm -hmm. is when I was doing my performance with Love Dolls yeah. and I was doing a bunch of research, mm -hmm. these men would be fully connected to these love dolls yeah. and it was so it was so odd to me to think that a person could be connected to a doll that mm -hmm. doesn't move talk or anything like that i'm thinking like if someone can get there with a inanimate in inanimate inanimate object can they eventually get there what's that movie that came out that the guy fell in love yeah i don't know what that's called i i get what you're saying at the same time, and I didn't do the research you did, but um, we spoke about it quite a bit. Didn't it take time for those men to build that connection? I mean, this is a 16-minute performance, you said? Uh, 19. A 19-minute performance. I don't see that connection happening within 19 minutes. Yeah. Especially if she's not actively talking to you. And I almost think it, this is VR um, behind stanchions, um, which is interesting. I would wonder if another route that might have been a little bit, it would have been impactful in another way, is um, they do have the new VR goggles mm -hmm. where you put them on and it's literally like, you know, King Kong's chasing you and it looks so real. If she had tried to continue the artist is present with that and you put on the VR goggles and it's her at that table staring mm -hmm. into you and staring into the camera. I think that would have been really interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I agree with you. I think that would be interesting. I think it's this piece is too removed. It feels very view. removed. Because she's standing and, and, and behind, moving and, and kind of, it's minimal movement. Yeah. But it's not, I'm assuming not that same type of like intense eye connection. Yeah. And I've seen VR like that and it's, I don't know. It looks fake. It doesn't look like the person. It does, but it doesn't. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? It's very clear that it's technology. And to have the stanchions in between you sets another physical barrier between you and her. Yeah. Yes. That really doesn't need to be there. I that, think it's only there it's because, you because can, of the lighting, right? You can hurt the lighting, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that piece will affect people connecting to it. Yes. So interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Um, but I'm excited to see the reviews and to hear what people who are in London and can go to it think. Yeah, I'm surprised it's only up for such a short period of time. I yeah. wonder if it's almost a test for her. I would think it's a test. To see how it yeah. goes. Absolutely. Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it for uh, this episode. Oh, don't forget, <laughs> smash that subscribe button, hit us with that review, um, yeah, follow five us. stars. We are Art World Podcast on all platforms. Um, Insta. Insta, Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> we also have, uh, if you type in the, the or Art the World, Art World Podcast. <laughs> dot com. 
uh, you can go to our webpage, uh, which basically has the information that we're on all the other platforms. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's reconnects you. But if uh, if Instagram confuses you and you prefer the Google, then uh, type mm-hmm. in theartworldpodcast.com. <laughs> and you'll find us. Yep. All right. We love you guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.